Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. And Annabelle Lee. Hello. Producer (laughs) Annabelle Lee. Coming up on today's show, Stella Magazine posted a bunch of topless men on their cover to celebrate International Women's Day. And we just have a few questions. (laughs) Dolce and Gabbana sues Diet Prada for a stupid amount of money. A new bachelor is announced as an old bachelorette gets married and then... Old bachelorette? Yeah, an older bachelorette. Not by age, but by status. What would we say? Like a veteran bachelor. A veteran bachelor. A veteran bachelor. A veteran bachelor. Well, Annabelle, you can cut that out. Do I have to? This is the world's worst intro. And then, and then, and then, and then, of course, <laughs> Megan, Harry, Oprah, and that history-making interview. But first, Michelle, how was your week? A big week. I wonder if anyone can tell by my voice. <laughs> yeah. I sound. Do I sound masculine or is it just like, you know, when you have a cold or you're run down and you hear yourself as masculine and nasally? Do I sound that way to you guys or yes. just to myself? It's slight. It's slight huskiness. But have you is it s- sexy huskiness yes. or ugly? Have you seen that episode of Friends where Phoebe gets gets a cold and she thinks she's a much better singer with it. My sticky shoes. (laughs) My sticky, sticky shoes. You just sang on mic and you told people that you hate that. But ironically, you're allowed to ironically sing on mic. It's when you take yourself too seriously and you think you're a good singer. I know I'm deplorable, so it's fine. Okay, so your week was good. My week was good. I'm run over because it was... (laughs) I'm run down because it was my sister Claire's wedding on the weekend. I was maid of honour, so... I don't know, the person who kind of fixes things last minute and like runs around and finds nappies when we can't find nappies and all that kind of stuff. It was the best weekend ever, but it was also the weekend after the hens party. So I feel like I'm coming off two weeks of like 
big, big weekends. And at 26 years old, my poor little body just can't withstand the pressure. <laughs> You're 26 old. Oh, Claire did look beautiful. Congratulations to Claire and Steve. There's their wedding shout out. <laughs> and Millie too. Weddings are exciting though. It's a fun time to be with family. It was the best. And you know what? They got the best weather ever. They were a COVID wedding that got cancelled last year. And the weather on their original wedding date was 11 and hail. <gasps> I forgot about that. It was like 30 mil of rain in Melbourne it or something. It was disgusting. Worst September day on yeah. record or something ridiculous last year. Obviously had to move it to March 7 this year. They had glorious weather. It was 28, sunshine, light breeze. It was just absolutely gorgeous and I'm so, so happy for them. That is lovely. Silver lining. I know. I do have one recommendation Hit and me. it's an exciting one. Oh. <laughs> I recommend everyone go read Priyanka Chopra Jonas's new memoir. It's yes. called Unfinished. It is wonderful. The reason I read it, and I'm going to put my hand up and say I probably wouldn't have read it without work being involved because I don't read memoirs. I've never taken a keen interest in memoir reading really at all. But we secured an interview with Priyanka. So I read the book as preparation for that interview. And not only was the book incredible and insightful and candid and honest, the interview we just recorded with her this morning is one of my favourite in convos ever. Absolutely. That in conversation is going to drop on Monday and you are not recommending that book because you have to by any stretch. It no. is a really, really beautiful read though. Like I flew through it and you and I, as you said, like you're not into autobiographies usually or memoirs, nor am I really. Mm. I delve far more into fiction, but I adored this read. So if you're interested in, I guess what, the behind the scenes of how to build a career that is at the level of hers. It's really interesting to see behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, one of the most successful Bollywood and Hollywood actresses of our time, married to a Jonas brother. Like there's a lot going on that people will find very interesting on the surface, but more deeply, she speaks a lot about grief, a lot about love, a lot about heartache and loneliness. And it's just a super powerful Super engaging read. Definitely recommend that. And Annabelle, you'll be editing that episode tomorrow. So I'm, I'm guessing you're so excited. I'm excited. Based on the photos you took, <laughs> top quality. Yeah, if you've been on our Instagram, you'll see that I didn't take the world's best photos. But that is fine. <laughs> what about you? How was we your week? My week was great. I left the state for the first time in 12 months, which Woo-hoo! I feel like definitely should be noted because not everyone has the, the ability to leave states at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that was lovely. A little bit stressful when two hours before we meant to get on the plane, our accommodation was double booked. And oh. I thought, going on holidays is not worth it anymore. (laughs) It's not worth it. Anyway, I had a great time and I read a couple of books. I read Honeybee, finally, guys. I've seen so much about it and I'm desperate to read it. This is the problem, right? Like when you come to a book late and it's already so hyped, did it live up to the hype or was it slightly disappointing? No, it lived up to the hype for me. And I almost find myself avoiding books with hype because I get really nervous that I'm not going to love it as much as everybody else and I'm going to be disappointed. But I loved this book mainly because I couldn't picture the story in my head before I started. I didn't know what to expect as much. I did note on my Instagram as well, Craig Silvey, who wrote this, is a straight white cis man who is writing a trans character and there have been conversations about that. He has been really good at addressing that commentary and that criticism and has really engaged in those conversations. But I think it's an important thing to note for anyone reading that book to also sort of do the digging and reading around that issue as well. I mean, we had a long conversation on our book club podcast at the end of last month about that issue as well. But Mm. the book itself, the story itself is beautiful. I read it in a day. Like it it doesn't happen very often where I I have the ability to kind of fly through a book like that, but it was beautiful. So whoever wants to borrow it. Uh, Me. I was literally about to say, can I borrow? Okay. It goes to me, then Annabelle, and I won't waterlog this one like you waterlogged the last book I lent to you. Yeah. I'm not good at looking after books. I have one extra quick recommendation if you 
overwhelming. Ooh. I know we have a long episode today and much to cover, but I think we're just going to settle into that fact. You know what? Fuck it. I've got a cup of tea. Let's do it. What are you going to recommend? <laughs> I have an Instagram account called Mips Chips. <laughs> Wait, an, in, an Instagram account? An Instagram account. Now, Mips Chips is an account that goes around in Melbourne and rates the chips in the city. Oh. Now, I know people might be listening to that and saying a lot of Melbourne privilege here. What if I don't live in Melbourne? I want to know the chips in the rest of the cities. Well, in lockdown, Mips Chips did a public service by rating every single frozen chip <gasps> at the supermarket and has sort of done some like weird awards thing <gasps> for all the frozen chips. And I am a really deep fundamental believer in not all frozen chips are made equal. Like I, oh, have, God, no. I have one go-to and we have to cook them in a specific way for them to be good and I love them. But all of the others I find quite terrible. But it was amazing to see what other frozen chips she recommends. Well, go on. What was top of the hierarchy? I don't have them up on me. There was some McCain ones and this is not sponsored, by the way. (laughs) There were some other beer-battered ones. My chip got an honourable mention. What's your chip? It's the – what is my chip? I don't want to say in case they sell out. Can I say my chip? What is yours? My chip is the one where it's like it's got deli branding on the front and it's like rosemary and they're young. Mine is the McCain Delish Sea Salt rosemary yes yeah not all chips made equal they are great frozen chips but they didn't even win so I'm interested to try the other chips that the account recommends love that so much are you a big like hot chip fan oh I'm a huge hot chip fan so much better than a regular like crisp chip oh Oh, yeah we're not talking about cold (laughs) room temperature chips why we'll be talking about lays we simply weren't talking about lays anyway Mish we have to get into the show today because there is that much to talk about we are starting with Stella Magazine's cover on internet National Women's Day. Yeah, Stella Magazine. If you are listening to this episode from outside of Australia, Stella Magazine touts itself as Australia's most read Sunday magazine with exclusive agenda-setting interviews, fashion and insights from the country's top lifestyle experts. I don't know if they're actually the most read. They are very, very big and they often do. I think they would be the most read Sunday magazine because if you're thinking about the most widely circulated mm. newspapers on a Sunday, I'm making an assumption, a pretty fair assumption that the News Corp papers are the most widely circulated papers and they are on the inside of the Daily Telly and the Herald Sun, etc. Yeah, yep, very fair. Often on International Women's Day, Stella Magazine is known for getting it pretty right. I mean, they've had interviews with Lisa Wilkinson before. They've platformed some pretty important conversations. And people, understandably, the public, would have had pretty high expectations for what Stella was doing on the 2021 International Women's Day, which was, of course, on Monday this week because they've done pretty well in the past. Also, it's important to note that Stella Magazine kind of hyped this up. Like they were building hype on their own social media channels to be like, wait till you guys see what we've got in store for you this year. One of their posts read, with 2021 International Women's Day right around the corner, we're looking back at a few of the influential women who have graced the special issue of Stella in the past. This year, we're doing things a little differently. Stay tuned for 5pm this afternoon as we unveil our unconventional take on this important day. I'm glad you've led with unconventional take on this important day because what you would have found if you had your Sunday magazine in front of you, the day before International Women's Day was four topless men from Magic Mike. <laughs> On Instagram, when they announced this cover, Mish, they wrote, International Women's Day is traditionally a time to shine a light on the achievements of women. But as our editor-in-chief, Sarah Lamarquand, wrote in her editor's letter, we tell the stories and amplify the achievements of women every week of the year. That's why we're doing things a little differently this year. We're celebrating the female gaze and we're doing it with the cast of Magic Mike on our cover. So many questions. Lots of questions. So many questions. <laughs> there was probably about 200 comments on this photo and everyone being like, you just 
completely misread the room. Like you couldn't have misread the room more. Imagine thinking, hmm, International Women's Day. I know what we're going to do. Put four topless buff men on the cover, complete with, you know how they do like pull-out quotes on a cover, guys, to like tease a story? Every pull-out quote on the cover was from a man. So we had a guy called Fabio, who I'm guessing was one of the Magic Mike people was quoted. AFL star Rory Sloan got a pull-out quote, as did singer-songwriter Mitch Tambo about the importance of rehabilitating men who have done wrong in the past. It just felt like the most incongruous. It's weird. I mean, that is an important conversation, but interesting that this is what's focused on the cover of International Women's Day. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, okay, well, if it was the female gaze and we've got four men, surely a female photographer shot this because it is through the female gaze. Unfortunately, (laughs) I'm here to tell you, it was also shot by a man called Daniel Nadell. And I found this interesting, not least because it's International Women's Day, like we keep saying, and you're putting men at the centre of everything. But secondly, saying it's a celebration of the female gaze is a a very hetero way to look at this. Like Mm. so many women uninterested in that. So many women don't want that, especially on Mardi Gras weekend as well. It couldn't have misread the room more. Yeah, it's a complete misunderstanding of what the female gaze even means. For those who might be a bit confused, the male gaze is the act of depicting women and the world that they live in through a very masculine, heterosexual perspective. So it's all about positioning women as sexual objects for the pleasure of men. The female gaze is not just the inverse of that. It's not just like, oh, let's make men sex objects. The female gaze is supposed to subvert everything the male gaze is. So it's supposed to platform women of all different sizes, skin colors, abilities, bodies. It's supposed to completely redefine the way we see women in the public eye, that we tell their stories, that we tell their lived experiences. For the team at Stella to go, we're going to be revolutionary and put some buff men on our cover – completely ignores all the different kinds of women out there. It's like it completely just approaches women through the one myopic lens. And that lens to me is a middle-aged mum who wants to look at, I don't know, photos of magic men on the cover. Well, you reckon Vicky and Trish, this is what they wanted? (laughs) (laughs) This one was for you, ladies. Stella were self-aware to a point about the fact that people might find this strange. And in the story that accompanied the cover, journalist Angela wrote, taking four of those muscled men from stage to page is not how we typically celebrate International Women's Day. There will be some who question what right they have to occupy such prime publishing real estate on a day that traditionally honours and amplifies the achievements of women. But here at Stella, we already have a reputation as a mouthpiece for women's stories. <laughs> Let's I, just stop today. <laughs> this is like, why not today too? Mm. And it really just made me wonder, like I couldn't quite work out if this was an advertorial, mm. a publicity stunt or a really ill-thought-out decision. Mm, I don't think publicity stunt. Like, why would a magazine pull a publicity stunt on perhaps the most important branding day of the year? I think this is terrible for Stella's image and their brand reputation. I think the most likely thing in my mind is that it was a paid advertorial, a paid promotion for Magic Mike, and someone in the Stella team should have spoken up if this was the case and gone, we need to push this advertorial to another day. We need to have something important and powerful about IWD, particularly given the climate we're in. We have lived through the last couple of months in Australia, and you might not be aware of this if you're listening from overseas, where the conversations about women, about sexual assault, about mistreatment in all levels of government has really come to the forefront. And for Stella magazine to not think, let's put 
Grace Tame on the cover of our magazine or let's speak to the women who have accused the government of severe mistreatment or of covering up of sexual assault. Like for them to not even think that's the conversation people want to read and instead put Magic Mike on the cover is so baffling and befuddling to me. I really would like to hear from the editors or the team behind this shoot and hear what the hell went on. And at the time of recording, I went through their Instagram posts about this and there were, like I said at the start, so many comments, so many people criticising this and they hadn't responded to anyone. So they hadn't responded to this criticism at the time of recording. And I agree with you, Mish. Like we've had conversations in our office at the moment being like, I just feel so much rage. Like I have a lot of rage inside Mm. of me at the moment and I definitely don't think I'm the only one. I think there is a lot of rage, female rage at the moment in our country for various reasons. And to not see that and feel that and understand that and tap into that feels like a real missed opportunity at best and really ignorant at worst. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we are bringing you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara Ellis with an E McDonald, what have you got for us? I have five stories for you. As always, Michelle Elizabeth Andrews, my first story. Sam Armitage quits Sunrise to find peace and calm. That is from The Australian. What a fascinating one because I believe we actually spoke about this on the podcast at the end of last year. Sam Armitage departing the country's biggest breakfast television program was actually foreshadowed by columnist Andrew Hornery. He works for the Sydney Morning Herald and last year wrote a piece about Sam's future at the network and he did say and did point to friction between Sam, her co-host David Koch and people within the boardroom at Channel 7 and he did say, look, it's not clear if Sam Armitage will stay on at Sunrise. Sam actually came back with fire to those (laughs) claims and completely denied them at the time. Yeah, she tweeted a photo or a screenshot of that article and wrote, good one at Channel 9, obviously because Channel 9 owns the Sydney Morning Herald. If you can't beat Sunrise in the ratings, invent a bitchy column for some Christmas cheer. What a grot that Andrew Hornery is. So really did come out firing, which is interesting given I think nine weeks later, she in a really emotional address on Sunrise announced that yes, in fact, she is stepping back. I mean, she has had her fair share of controversy and and understandably too, she has been involved in some racism scandals and Maybe it's time for her to step back and for them to replace her with someone who is a person of colour, who has different experience, who can bring something to that show that has had an all-white panel for so long. Absolutely. Apparently senior sources at Channel 7 do say that Sam is still on a contract at least until the end of this year and they did tell Andrew Hornery that she might be moved on to another program or would be welcome to work on Channel 7 in another capacity. So it'll be interesting to see what she does next. She has that podcast, remember? She does. Her new baby. Her new, new baby. <laughs> My second story, Dolce and Gabbana sued Diet Prada for defamation. That is from The Cut. A really interesting story, Mish, to only come out this week given this lawsuit was filed in 2018. Yeah, and this is a conversation we have been having both on the podcast and in the shameless office behind closed doors about Instagram accounts and about defamation and about how the very powerful people they speak about and they try and expose might eventually bring them down. This is quite a troubling example though, Zara. This is an awful example. So you might remember in 2018, in November of 2018, Dolce & Gabbana had to cancel its Shanghai fashion show after widespread and understandable criticism on social media accusing them of racism 
because of their DG Loves China campaign. At the forefront of that criticism was the Instagram account Diet Prada, who has made a name for themselves for calling out the fashion industry for copycat stuff and racism in particular. As well as drawing attention to the Dolce & Gabbana examples of racism, the account also posted messages from Stefano Gabbana, who was being really racist. So now what's happened is Dolce & Gabbana sued them in 2018. The reason we're finding out about it now is because Diet Prada just telling us about it now, but they have sued them for more than, in Australian dollars, $780 million. So they're asking for a few million for the company, a couple for Stefano, and then more than $600 million for damages. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, I don't know enough about Italian defamation laws, but I feel like it's really important for us to have this discussion now in regards to if this happened in Australia, because when we talked about celeb spell check a month or two ago, Zara, and we did say this is risky, she could end up in a defamation lawsuit, people can really come after her, particularly if people have a huge amount of backing and money behind them. That's because the truth is not a defence in a lot of defamation lawsuits. I'm not sure in regards to this one because it's Italian law, but in Australia, I think it's important for people to know when we discuss defamation, the truth is not always a defence. Just because something is factually correct does not mean you are free to share it publicly and free to potentially ruin someone's reputation or their ability to earn an income. Yeah, and in Australia, a really good example of that is Rebel Wilson. Mm. A lot of news outlets reported on her age. That age was true, factually correct, but it was the way they went about that that was the defamatory action. When it comes to this case in particular, when we're talking about Dolce & Gabbana and Diet Prada, it's good to know that the non-for-profit Fashion Law Institute at Fordham is representing them pro bono in collaboration with another law firm who's giving them a reduced rate. That said, their legal fees right now would be astronomical. So they have set up a GoFundMe. We will put the link in the show notes for that GoFundMe because I definitely want to donate to that. I think Mm. if we've got really influential people on Instagram like Diet Prada calling out racism in a really important way and they're being sued and financially financially liable for that. It's not a good world we're living in. Yeah, it goes without saying the function of Diet Prada is super important. I don't think that applies to every gossip account on yeah. Instagram. Like we we shared our varied opinions on Celeb Spellcheck and the amount of colour that comes with that account a few weeks ago. But as far as Diet Prada is concerned, they do a lot of really important work as far as holding companies to account. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's super important that people back them and get behind them. If you are following Diet Prada, I would also encourage you to donate. I think this is scary that someone who can be super racist and super gross to Asian people, particularly knowing that Asian hate crimes and Asian hate speech is so on the rise at the moment. It's very, very much important that we kind of get behind Diet Prada and give them all the support we can. Absolutely. My third story, get your roses out for our new Australian bachelor, Jimmy Nicholson. That is from 10 News First. And this flew very much under the radar. Or was that just me? I think it did as well. Annabelle, did you say much about this? I did. Yeah. I saw heaps of it. Sorry Sorry to burst you (laughs) both. Sorry, guys, you couldn't be more wrong. (laughs) If you did miss it like Zara and I, Jimmy Nicholson is a 31-year-old pilot from Sydney. Sydney. He was stood down last year, Zara, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic because he is a pilot. He commenced filming this week. I think this is exciting for a lot of fans of The Bachelor. For one of the first times we have seen someone be cast who is not white 
Jimmy is of New Zealand and Fijian heritage and it's exciting to see a little bit of diversity finally on our screens. Absolutely. So if they've just started filming this week, it'll be interesting to see. Assuming there's no sort of restrictions or hiccups, this won't be too long before it gets onto our screens. Yeah, that's exactly right. Jimmy also gave a quote to Channel 10. He said, I feel very fortunate to be the Bachelor of 2021. I am ready to open up my heart and meet someone. I hope to meet someone with similar values that I can have fun with and that shares the same zest for life as myself. Would you date him? if you were single? I don't know him. I'll tell you once once I've watched the show. My fourth story from one Bachelor story to another, a hashtag lovely wedding. Bachelorette Georgia Love and Lee Elliott are married. That is from Vogue magazine. And what a beautiful wedding did this look like? Yeah, this is super exciting. I mean, I hate to be a sucker for televised romance, but obviously I I so am as well. Georgia and Lee met back in 2016 on The Bachelor. I'm imagining that old mate Jimmy Nicholson is pretty excited to see this as well, given his about to be bachelor this year but they did walk down the aisle finally again another COVID wedding that had to be postponed last year they were going to get married in Italy I believe ended up getting married in Tasmania where Georgia spent much of her adult life yeah she was working there as we all remember when she was first sort of cast as a bachelorette Mm. so a nice sort of like 360 I guess we're gonna call it I'm such a sucker for a tv romance so I'd love seeing them all get married (laughs) she wore a very beautiful Jason Gretsch wedding dress and they married at the Frogmore Winery before going to a distillery, I think, just outside of Hobart. So what a beautiful wedding. Congratulations to the both of them. Very happy. Any any additional comments, Annabelle Lee? Just that this wedding made me realise that with my last name, Lee, my potential wedding hashtag oh, would yes. be so awesome. That would be great. I had this thought too and with McDonald not so much. <laughs> what did we, you and I came up with our own wedding hashtag and the, impo- the embarrassing thing was is that Zara and my wedding hashtags only included our names, like our partners <laughs> weren't included at all. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. My fifth story, Jules Sebastian deletes for Photo promoting vitamins over editing claims. That is from news.com. <laughs> a pretty funny one to round out the quick and dirty Mish. I adore Jules Sebastian. If you guys are wondering who that is, Jules Sebastian is an incredible media personality. She also does some influencing work on Instagram. She is the wife of Guy Sebastian, who is a huge Australian musician as well. Pretty funny one. She got called out for photoshopping some products into a sponsored post. And look, I wish she had pulled it off. It would have been <laughs> epic if you could just feel like, I don't know, Photoshop some vitamin packets into your SponCon. But she did not pull it off. People called her out for it. And it really does remind me, remember that influencer who did a sponsored post for pancakes but used tortillas? Yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, there's a literally taco. It's funny when you stare at a photo for long enough. Like I stared at the Jill Sebastian photo for long enough that I thought, but are they or aren't they? You know, when you look at something for too long and then you start second guessing yourself and then you take five minutes off, look back at the photo and think, oh, yes, <laughs> they definitely weren't in the initial frame. The photo was, of course, deleted, but not before Celeb Spellcheck picked it up. Reminds me of when you put some filters or kind of edit your photos on Instagram and you think it looks epic when you're like tipsy or drunk. And then you look back the next day and you're like, why is that so saturated? It makes my yes. eyes. <laughs> yeah, the warmth. I've turned up the warmth quite a bit. <laughs> hey, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, that Megan and Harry interview. But first, a word from today's sponsor.
It was perhaps the television moment of the last 25 years. After making the historic decision to leave the royal family 14 months ago, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, known more colloquially as Prince Harry and Meghan, sat down with none other than Oprah Winfrey for a primetime interview tell-all. So, what did we learn? We learned that a senior member of the royal family, and not Queen Elizabeth or Prince Philip, questioned how dark Archie's skin was going to be. We learned that someone from the palace planted a fake story saying that Meghan made Kate cry when the opposite was true, and that a suicidal Meghan Markle was allegedly refused help from the firm, who told her there was nothing they could do to support her through a mental health crisis. Of these revelations, Buckingham Palace released a statement on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen on Wednesday morning Australian time that read, The whole family is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry, Meghan and Archie will always be much-loved family members. Zara, to say we have so much to unpack (laughs) is an understatement, but let's start with where and how you watch this on Monday night. So I was on a bit of a social media blackout all day Monday because I didn't have an opportunity to watch it till Monday night when it aired on Channel 10. And I was like, I never worry about spoilers. I mean, Mm. the listeners will know that by now. But when I started to see coverage come in, I had to delete my social media apps because I was like, I do not want anything spoiled for me. I want to sit down and enjoy this like everybody else. So I was on my couch, I had a cup of tea and it was better, better than I had imagined. And I had very high expectations. What about you? I sat down in my mum's lounge room. We were all hung over from the wedding and it was my mum, my boyfriend, Mitch, my sister, Evelyn, my brother, Tom kind of floated in and out. He was kind of like, they're not going to say anything. And then would like <laughs> loiter around a bit longer and be like, oh wait, maybe they will. It was interesting. Every ad break, we would text back and forth about our kind of thoughts on everything and debrief. Well, the funniest thing was before I watched it, I was like, I need my phone on full charge. Like, you know, <laughs> when you're watching something very intense and live, you need it on full charge because I was texting you, I was texting my mum and my sister and there was just so much to talk about. I mean, a couple of fun facts before we really get into the nitty gritty is it was actually filmed at Gail King's house, who is Oprah Winfrey's best friend. So at the start of the interview, you would have heard Oprah and Megan say that they were at a, you know, mutual friend's house. It was Gail's house. <laughs> Megan also wore a diamond bracelet that had once been Diana's on her wrist, which Did I thought she? was a lovely touch. We did poll our listeners, Mish, before we started preparing properly for this segment and we wanted to know where they stood Mm. because I think it's funny sometimes you read polls on News Corp and you see one set of stats from a certain demographic but we wanted to see where our audience sat. So we polled you guys asking first and foremost whether you were on Team Meghan and Harry or whether they were on Team Palace. 95% of people at the time I checked the stats were on Team Meghan and Harry. We asked another question, which was, do you feel sympathy for them? And 95% again at the time I checked the stats felt sympathy. And then we asked one more question and we said, should they have sat down and done an interview in prime time? And 72% said yes. Very interesting that empathy, sympathy question in particular, because when I was reading some right-leaning opinion pieces in the Daily Telegraph yesterday, they polled their News Corp readers and only 17% of readers said they sympathised with Meghan and Harry. 83% said they didn't. So to say that our audience and other (laughs) audiences feel very differently about this is an understatement. Absolutely. I wanted to quickly focus in on that last stat I read out that 72% thought it was right to give an interview, but that is still like 23% less than people that are on their team and 23% less than people that feel sympathy for them. And 
I found it interesting because I felt people are on their side. People feel a lot of sympathy and empathy for them, but people don't want them to talk about it too much. Like Mm. that's the sense that I get from those statistics. People don't want them front and centre and it really did make me wonder why. Is it a classiness thing? Like do people think there is something kind of gallish or uncultured or unruly about being open and that there is greater grace in being silent? Because Mm. that's what I took from that stat. Well, I mean, we need to be balanced, right? Like the majority of people were still pro in favour of a primetime interview. I agree. I think it's partly like that very British, very Catholic attitude of you handle things in private. It is crass to deal with things in public. You are shining such a big spotlight on yourself and that's not very seemly. I think that's definitely an attitude that some people have. I think as well... Some people were worried that the pendulum swung too far. And I'm saying people as in not myself. That is not my own opinion. But as I was reading through the DMs that we got from some of our listeners, people were saying they felt like it was unfair that some members of the royal family, because they are members of the royal family and need to abide by whatever the institution or the firm wants to do so far as handling public crises goes, they can't speak out. They can't go on primetime television interviews because they simply can't go against the institution in which they live. For Meghan and Harry to go on means that they can kind of have a voice that perhaps Kate and William can't. Yeah, but they also made that choice to do that. And I wanted to start by talking about the timing of all of this, right? Because I think that's a really important point to start. We all just sat through The Crown season four and we even came on this show mission and did an entire segment about Diana, about the resurgence of Diana, about Diana's millennial makeover. And I think we're at a point in time right now where there is a lot of sympathy for what Diana went through, particularly for a generation like us three who weren't really around as much through the years that Diana was really famous. And I think that there is so much understanding for how tough the palace can be Mm. on outsiders. And I found it so curious that in this chat, they admitted that they'd watched snippets of The Crown. I mean, that so means they've watched it all. (laughs) And I thought they know that right now when they do this interview with Oprah Winfrey, sentiment generally across the board is of greater understanding for what Diana went through than ever. And for that reason, people are more inclined to make parallels between Meghan and Diana. And for that reason, people are going to feel greater sympathy and empathy for what they went through. So I think the timing is just crucial here. Even beyond that, I mean, this interview dropped one day before International Women's Day in the US and the UK. It was International Women's Day in Australia when the interview dropped. Meghan Markle had just announced that she was pregnant with a daughter. Like so many threads in this interview did really link into women's empowerment empowerment and feminism. Oh, and voice. And that's something that she spoke on a lot. And I think there was this great quote by Sarah Lyle in the New York Times who said about the comparison between Diana and Meghan, it felt Shakespearean, the sense of history repeating itself through the immutable structure of a royal lineage and an ancient institution. I think the tweet that got me the most or that spoke to me the most in the wake of this, and my entire Twitter feed was just this. I don't know about you guys, but it was the (laughs) only thing I could say. And it was from British author Holly Bourne who wrote, it's mad how much this world cannot handle the simple act of a woman saying, this is what happened to me. Yeah, so many people will choose to discredit her and not believe her at every turn. It's almost like at this stage, Meghan Markle could say, I have two knees and the Pierce Morgans of the world would find a way to disagree with her. 
Before we move on, lots of people say it was insensitive and callous for Meghan and Harry to do this interview and to demand all this spotlight and to then push that spotlight onto the royal family at a time when Prince Philip is in hospital and he is very, very unwell at 99 years of age. What do you think of that argument? I mean, it's not good timing. There is no denying that. And it's not great that Prince Philip is not well and in hospital. But I kind of think that people would pick any timing as wrong Mm. for this kind of conversation. Like there is never going to be a good time for them to spotlight the royal family. And you could pick a lot of reasons why. But this is the time that they chose. And I think I'm going to respect that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I would say that Lots of people try and find reasons why protesting or speaking your truth is not appropriate or not the right time. Like it even reminds me of a Colin Kaepernick taking a knee very, very famously a few years ago. People said that's not the way to protest. That's not the right time at the Super Bowl as well. Like all of those things. it's not the right time. And then any other time someone tries to protest, that's not the right time either and that's not fair either. So I think no matter what, Meghan and Harry would have been accused of not being sensitive to the royal family. Of course, it's desperately sad that Prince Philip is unwell, but he's also 99 years of age. And so I think he'd be unwell a lot of the time. It's unfortunate, but I don't think they're evil by any stretch of the imagination for pushing ahead regardless. Yeah, I agree. We will get to so many of the other threads in this interview, of course, but I do want to start with the mental health stuff. Because I find it so fascinating that a woman can get up in front of the world, in front of 17 million people who watch this live in the US alone and say, I have suffered with suicidal ideation and the gut response from the Pierce Morgans, the Miranda Devines, the right-leaning, predominantly white commentators is to go, no, I don't believe you. You must be making that up. That can't be true. Like, is it really so unbelievable that anyone, anyone that you're walking past on the street could experience suicidal ideation at some point in their life, let alone a woman who is perhaps under the most intense media scrutiny of anyone in the modern world. We know that 7% of all hospitalised injuries in Australia are from people attempting suicide or self-harming. We also know that suicide is the leading cause of death for people aged between 15 and 44 in Australia. This is very, very common. And for a woman to get up and say, it's a common thing that has happened to me. Yeah, like this happened to me. That story of a woman saying this happened to me. And for the gut response to be, you're a liar, shows to me how far we have to go with the mental illness conversation. We're so happy with the like very corporate, are you okay days. We're so happy with the fluffy conversations around these abstract mental illness stories. But when someone comes out and says something as gritty and as real as I wanted to take my own life, we can't handle it. And I just found that so disappointing. And it really showed me that the people who want to stand up and go, oh, I'm all for mental illness and I'm all for people talking about their mental health. No, you're not. If you can't handle Meghan Markle saying that she was suicidal, then you need to check yourself. Yeah. And there was a beautiful quote from Matt Haig, who's done a lot of work in the mental health space. And he is an author and he wrote on Instagram, people miss the point. It's not about if you like Megan or not. It's not about whether you think the royal soap opera should be headline news. It's about the message sent from some of the mainstream media today that claims of mental illness and suicide are automatically suspicious, that voicing them should be met with doubt. It's an attitude that will and does kill people, people with no affiliation with the royal family. I think 
that point of suspicion is definitely amplified as well because she's a black woman. Mm. Like we're talking about the fact that we are suspicious of people that say that they have suicide ideation already, but then add that with the race factor and here we have a woman who really can't win here Mm. in the public eye. I'm really baffled as to why people hate Meghan Markle to the level they do. Like, I'm not sure if you read a piece by Miranda Devine in the Daily Telegraph, but the level of vitriol that some people write about Meghan Markle with is just unprecedented in my experience anyway. I want to read you some of the quotes from this piece. She was described as vainglorious, self-pitying, nothing if not calculating. She was accused of single-handedly turning Harry against his brother, cutting him off from his military brothers. Miranda Devine's final line in the piece was, Prince Charles doesn't deserve to have it thrown back in his face by an uppity new daughter-in-law who has manipulated Harry's childhood trauma to serve her own interests. I have just never seen such sharp, unflinching cruelty Mm. to someone in the media. And I actually don't think anyone can explain the level of hatred to Meghan Markle to me. Like some people will say, oh, she had an expensive wedding. It was more expensive than William and Kate's. And to those people, I say, okay, that wedding cost $40 million, but generated $680 million for the British economy. They also don't plan their own fucking weddings. No. Like, come on. No. Other people will then say, okay, well, she's now being paid all this money by Spotify and Netflix, to which I say, okay, those are private companies. You don't suffer at all <laughs> at the behest of Spotify or Netflix paying them these huge paychecks. But if you're a British citizen, you absolutely suffer at the hands of the British family taking $121 million from taxpayers every single year. Like, I don't think anyone can actually outline a clear reason why they hate Meghan Markle so much other than her skin colour. And there's a few other arguments that people might want to bandy around, right? A lot of people say that line, like, what, they demand privacy and then they do this. And I find it curious because they don't actually demand privacy. Like, they've never actually demanded anything but respect from racist reporting and tabloid fodder. Like, that's the only thing they've ever asked for. And I get really annoyed because I think, like, are we really going to sit here and lack that much nuance where we tell famous people, and specifically in this case famous black people, that being famous means taking it all, means lying down and copying every single thing that comes your way, racism, death threats, that it's part and parcel with fame, that they can't demand better of us because that's what it feels like. And I find that desperately sad and desperately binary that someone can ask us to do better and we say, oh, they just don't want to be in the public eye. They just can't handle it. And people fall over themselves to pin this on Megan, not pin it on Harry. Like there is so much information out there. If you want to go and research it, that Prince Harry has not liked England, not liked being a royal and wanted to leave for more than a decade. Prince Harry is now 36. He's the same age that Princess Diana was when she died. He was quoted 13 years ago saying, this to an interviewer. I don't want to sit around at Windsor because I generally don't like England that much. It's nice to be away from all the press and the papers and the general shite that they write. May general I add? shite that they write. <laughs> he was at war. He yeah. was literally with the army at war and he said he'd prefer to be there than be in England. And yet Miranda Devine is hellbent on saying Meghan manipulated him out and pulled him away. When we have the white guy telling us for over a decade, 
I don't like this very much. I want to leave. And yet we are pointing at the black woman going, you're the evil one. You're the Yoko Ono of the royal family who's ruining this for everyone. I brought up Miranda Devine for a reason. I do want to have a quick chat with you, Zara, about the people who kind of dub themselves royal experts. I'm not saying Miranda Devine dubs herself (laughs) as that, but she's definitely a political and social commentator. She has written many an article about Meghan Markle, as have the likes of lots of middle-aged white boomers, for lack of a better term. Like a lot of people write a lot and talk a lot and kind of give themselves this expert hat on Meghan and Harry. Four such people are Richard Fitzwilliams, Majesty Magazine editor Ingrid Seward and the Queen's former press secretary Dickie Arbiter. All these people constantly come out and want to talk about Meghan Markle, often in very, very negative ways. And I just want to have a brief conversation with you about how biased those people can be because this This week, those four last names that I read out were actually exposed in a YouTube prank where this duo called Josh Peters and Archie Manners set them up by saying, look, the interview's not out yet. This was two days before the interview even premiered, but we are working on this big television program. We will pay you money if you come on and give us an interview about what you thought about the interview, even though you haven't seen it. Are you keen? Every one of those people said yes. Have either of you seen this prank around? No. I watched it. Yeah. What struck me so much about this is that those four experts, the royal experts, were so willing to slam Meghan, not Harry so much, but Meghan, call her an actress, say she was faking, have some really niche specific criticisms (laughs) of her, right, Annabelle? Yes. They spoke on things that happened in this interview that they hadn't watched yet. And it was like they were drawing out information that they didn't even see, they hadn't even seen yet. All that was available was like a 30-second promo clip or like the little quotes that were flying around. Each of those four people got up and slammed Meghan Markle, made all of these grand claims about her personality and things she said in the interview that were totally made up. And I think it's such a good example of how many royal experts are willing to trash these two completely in a biased way. Like there's no nuance, there's no actual thought, there's no analysis. It's all from the gut. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point to make that when you see a headline that has royal expert in it, it's very it's very easy to assume that these people do lack bias, that they are a quote-unquote expert, that they've done some sort of training to be able to have the opinions that they do. But very often, more often than not, these people are journalists working often in the pockets of the palace. That's what Prince Harry even told us in this interview, that there is a really symbiotic relationship between the tabloids and the palace, that they have to kind of coexist and work together in order for them both to function properly. Well, I'm not even sure if royal expert should be the term. It should be like royal groupie. These yeah. are, <laughs> effectively, you're just getting quotes from fanatical royalists, people who are obsessed with the royals and are fangirls for the royals and would never say a bad word about them. And therefore likely have a lot of access to the royals. And yeah. when you have a lot of access to the royals, you likely owe the royals a lot because they give you that access in return for something. I mean, even Pierre Morgan, who is Meghan Markle's biggest detractor, her biggest enemy, it seems, public enemy number one in the British media. He, of course, quit his job on Good Morning Britain this week, walked offset famously. I only learnt this week that Piers Morgan hates Meghan Markle so much because they went for coffee once. Piers Morgan was absolutely enamoured with Meghan Markle, gave quotes at the time about what an incredible person she was, how beautiful she looked, how much they hit it off. Meghan Markle never caught up with him again and stopped answering his text messages and his calls. And that's when Piers Morgan turned on her. I just find so many of the commentators who have such a vested interest in hating Meghan Markle 
really just feel burned by her or have some personal vendetta, yeah. which is the definition of bias and the definition of why we shouldn't be listening to a fucking thing they say. And not a definition of an expert because the expert should actually have a lot of like helpful information about this. Yeah. Back on the mental health thing for a second, it's pretty disappointing that people like Kate and William can argue that they are spearheading a mental health cause in the UK when they have not once publicly defended and fought for a sister-in-law as she was suffering. Like that to me feels really disappointing because I'm also a bit surprised. Like I wasn't expecting their public image to take such a hit Mm. at the moment. Like I just wasn't. They felt very protected by the palace, but they will need to do a bunch of work to win back public support because they feel like puppets of the palace right now. And that's not boding well for, for public perception, I don't think. No. And I mean, I think it's been quite illuminating just how surfacey so much of the palace's philanthropic work work has really been like much of their charity work kind of seems to fall down when you truly think about it god forbid the palace ever align with a children's charity given that they have been actively encircling their arms around a family member with known links to a pedophile for the last three years well exactly and that brings me to my next point because one of the other really interesting elements of this interview was when megan said to oprah that a story that came out at the end of november 2018 that said that Megan made Kate cry over an argument of flower girl dresses actually happened in reverse. Kate actually made Megan cry. And I remember sitting there thinking, the timing of this is so weird. This story came out seven months after the two got married. So seven months after this story actually happened was it fed to the newspapers. And it made me think what in the world was going on with the palace at that point that meant they needed to leak this story. So I want to go through a bit of a timeline here. On November 27, 2018, the story about Meghan and Kate broke in the Daily Mail. And what happened was around that time, it felt very much like things were at fever pitch for Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein. And the reason that they were at fever pitch and the reason that there was a lot of headlines and a lot of news articles about Prince Andrew's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein is that Jeffrey Epstein was about to go to trial. Now, it wasn't a criminal case. It was actually a civil one. He was being sued. But on December 2, he was due to go to trial. This is five days after this story broke. So before that, there is many whispers about whether Prince Andrew will be pulled into this case because Virginia Roberts the woman that accused Prince Andrew of sleeping with her multiple times when she was 17, was on the witness list. And that meant that Prince Andrew may have been dragged into this case. So there is stuff going on everywhere. By December 5, the court case is called off because Epstein actually settled. But I just found this odd that around a time that Jeffrey Epstein is going to have to testify, that perhaps Virginia Roberts is going to have to testify in court, on November 27, a story about Meghan and Kate is leaked, but backwards. And like so many months after it happened. Yes, seven months after it happened. Like it feels to me that they had Prince Andrew in the palace and they thought, what do we do with this? Because we've clearly got an alleged pedophile in the palace. And they threw Meghan and Harry under the bus, underestimating the power of their voice and that they wouldn't want to be silenced and underestimating those two in general. And how sad, by the way, like how sad that the public is so predictable that they care more about a cat fight over bridesmaid dresses than they do about a prince, a middle-aged prince being accused of pedophilia. Like the fact that more headlines were written about bridesmaid dresses and stockings 
And yet everyone lapped it up. Everyone knows about the fight between Kate and Megan because we crave women fighting. Like we crave stories about it. We crave that dynamic being true. And yet Prince Andrew is just free to go about his business. There's no formal investigation into that. I mean, on top of everything else, the palace is so obvious how they go about things. In the days leading up to the Oprah Winfrey interview, they release information about Meghan Markle supposedly bullying palace staff three or four years ago. And I'm not going to put my hand up and say Meghan Markle is untouchable and perfect and that that couldn't have happened. I don't know Meghan Markle. I wouldn't know her from a bar of soap. Maybe those... Really? (laughs) Shock. (laughs) Maybe those allegations are true, but what I raise an eyebrow at is the fact that they're only coming out three years after the fact and they're coming out in the lead-up to an Oprah Winfrey interview where she accuses the palace of some pretty egregious behaviour and mistreatment. They're so callous and obvious with the way they go about things. It simply blows my mind. And the fact we have a formal palace investigation into three-year-old allegations of Meghan Markle bullying a staff member, yet we don't have an investigation into Prince Andrew being linked to a pedophile and visiting the pedophile's private island truly makes my mind want to melt. It's incredibly frustrating, I think, as a bystander, so I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to be in the thick of it. But the other thing I found frustrating is not even the outward right-wing commentary. It's the stuff that sits in the middle. There was a piece in the Sydney Morning Herald by London correspondent Bevan Shields this week that really fucking annoyed me, if I may, because what he wrote at the start was... Against the backdrop of the terrible suffering of the British people during the coronavirus pandemic, complaints about being denied taxpayer-funded security, debates about whether their son Archie should be called a prince, and revelations about a tiff between Meghan and Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge, over a flower girl's dress, are at best tone deaf and at worst insensitive. I will give him one piece of credit, and that is that later he went on into the piece to talk about the more serious stuff. But I just fundamentally disagree that this stuff is trivial. I'm really interested in the tone of which he used. Do we really think that a couple telling their truth, using their voice and talking both about racism and mental health is a bad thing in a pandemic, that the toxic media should not be called out? I think the story between Meghan and Kate is not trivial at all. It is central to the point that the palace wanted to throw a black woman under the bus using a white woman's tears. Mm -hmm. Like, is that not central to the argument here? Mm -hmm. And the idea that a white guy for the Sydney Morning Herald wants to sit up and say, this looks stupid in the middle of a pandemic, feels really actually tone deaf to me. That Mm -hmm. feels tone deaf because I think we should be encouraging people at all times of the year in any kind of crisis to be using their voice to tell their truth, especially a truth like this one. And that's where it's interesting where people say, oh, they shouldn't get up and do this interview. I'm like, how else would they have a voice? How else would they be able to correct the record that has been so intentionally incorrect for so many years? Like some people were DMing us, some listeners were saying, oh, I wish they just did it in a quieter spot. Like, couldn't they have done it with a newspaper? Couldn't they have done it in a chilled out way? Did they have to do it with Oprah Winfrey on prime time? And my answer to that would be yes. This is perhaps the only way they can get their unfiltered, unmanipulated words out into the public, reach as many ears and as many eyeballs as possible through their own voice, through their own lens. With Oprah Winfrey, particularly speaking to a powerful black woman who has also experienced the very things that Meghan Markle has experienced herself, this was perhaps the only way Meghan Markle and Harry could have gotten their story across and could have told it so candidly. What do we think about the adoration for the Queen that came across in this interview? Because it it sounded like they have a sweet relationship, particularly Prince Harry and his grandmother. But 
did we think it was genuine or an act of self-preservation? Because I actually genuinely don't know. Mm, I don't know either. I think there's a lot of respect and tradition behind upholding the queen as like some kind of moral arbiter and never coming for her or personally criticizing her. I feel like if they had said anything ill of the queen, they would have absolutely been lambasted. But also I think it's important for us to, as Harry and Meghan said, separate the family from the institution and the firm itself that, yes, I'm not, again, I'm not saying the Queen's perfect. I truly don't think any of these people involved in the story are perfect. I don't know her from a bar of soap. <laughs> but that's, that's what's so interesting, right? When you talk about this, people expect you to either say that Meghan Markle is a perfect human or the Queen is a perfect human. No one is perfect. Probably everyone in this story has made dodgy decisions that have ended up with not great consequences. But For people to act like the queen has to be upheld as this like perfect human being is just so archaic and ridiculous to me. Do I think they adore the queen as much as they said? Do I think they're on the phone to her every day like they alluded to? I honestly don't know. I think a lot of us have relationships with grandparents where we absolutely adore them with everything that we have, but we don't always agree with the decisions they make or maybe even their belief systems. Yeah, and they did want to make clear that when it came to that conversation about what potentially Archie's skin colour was going to be when he was born, it wasn't the Queen and it wasn't Prince Philip. And it feels like now, I don't know if this is like a once in a generation crisis, but that example in particular about the colour of Archie's skin feels like a crisis that I don't know how they can come back from. Like Mm -hmm. Anne Helen Peterson, who is a journalist but has done a lot of work in sort of like the celebrity and scandal space, wrote, scandal, historically speaking, occurs when there is a rupture in the status quo and attempts to immediately repair and narrativise it fail. The monarchy has been able to absorb and withstand massive scandals in the past, but I don't know if it has the fortitude to absorb this one. There are no new romances, no new babies, no deflection. And when we are talking about a racism scandal in 2021, I don't know what they can do to convince us that they are the opposite of that because they have proved themselves over and over as a colonial institution. I mean, they're an institution built on the perfect bloodline. And I put that in inverted commas. Like you're not allowed to marry into the palace unless you are a virgin. This is speaking historically. You weren't allowed to be anything but white, anything but pure, anything but from the perfect, again, in inverted commas, pedigree. They can't argue that they haven't been racist for millennia because they always have been. One sad comment I'll have to that, though, is that I disagree with Anne Helen Peterson. Yes, according to you and me and according to the people listening to this podcast, the monarchy is borderline irrelevant. They are racist. They are archaic. However, to the Daily Telegraph readers and to so many older Australians, Brits, Americans, the royal family and the palace is one of the lasting tributes to conventional conservative values. They love the royal family because the royal family embodies everything they value in society, which is hierarchy and whiteness and power and money. So yes, it's easy for us to sit behind these microphones and be like, they don't have a future. But we're speaking to a demographic of 95.5 There are people out there, 83%, so they still don't sympathise with these people. And that's where I get so sad to think that, yes, we're still in a bubble. We're in a really progressive, really lovely, really compassionate bubble. But not everyone is like a shameless listener, and I fucking wish they were. (laughs) And it's true. I can't at all sit here and say the palace doesn't have a future. I mean, they have so much fucking money, so much property, so much power. There's no way they don't have a future. But I think I wonder eventually how republic movements will go in certain countries like ours as our generation gets older because 
I can't see a world where more and more stories like this actually come to the front. And there was a beautiful tweet from a user in the handle Dairy Delicious who said, I refuse to frame interest in Meghan Markle's interview as gossip. It is a brave and candid exposure of a violent colonial institution that operates till this day through oppression. This is deeply political and significant. And I think that's a great point for anyone who wants to dismiss this as mindless and as a story that doesn't deserve news because it absolutely deserves news and conversation. I think that's all we've got time for. I think it is. Guys, thank you so much. There are a million opinions and thoughts and feelings about this interview. So as always, you know where we are. We're on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We do that Your Safe Friday thingy (laughs) every Friday. And we do want your thoughts because we want to continue this conversation on our socials. We absolutely do. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you want to support us, you know what to do. Click subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review or click subscribe on Spotify. Did I just get that wrong? Click follow on Spotify. Spotify. My voice is holding on for dear life. Annabelle Lee, anything else to add? Just that have a lovely week, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Have a lovely week, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Monday with none other than Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.